Okay, welcome to the monthly Rant About It series by BU's Philosophy, Politics, and Economics Society. The PPE Society aims to increase dialogue between all walks of life and all schools of thought. We created a discussion series where we have a list of topics and rant, the, rant about them with other students. On these episodes, we will briefly go over the various topics we discussed in our weekly meeting. I'm Sarah. I'm Zoe. I'm Shrey. I'm Heriberto. I'm Denise. Awesome. Now that we know all the voices and all the names that correspond, <laughs> <laughs> should we... Um, rant about it. Yeah, we should rant about it. So this episode, we're going to rant about purpose in society, the Paris Agreement, U.S. national debt, and personal debt. Uh, which one do you guys want to start with? The first one, which let's is start. purpose in society. Yeah, you should get a little closer. Yeah, let's do purpose in society since okay. that is what we said first. So this topic came up because we're wondering if our purpose in life, if there is one, if it has to be in society, or are, are our purpose in life separate from the social system? So while we were talking about this uh, topic, we, uh, we started off by talking about, for example, in Confucianism, everyone has a very strict role in society. We are age and your gender and everything determines what you're supposed to do. And Taoism was um, created as a... Um, alternative, alternative to that idea. Exactly, as a opposition to that idea and said that if we let everyone be free, they can find their own purpose and their own worthy in uh, society. So what do you guys think about this whole idea? Do you, Have you guys found your purpose in life? Yes, I think one of the things that we talk about a lot during the rant about it is that like we need to give a definition of purpose. So I feel that's one of the things that we talked most during that time. Yeah, and someone brought up that like societal progress or personal progress would be purpose, but Denny's also brought up the counterpoint that it doesn't necessarily have to be progress, and I think it's really difficult to define purpose, what you're supposed to do. I don't know who you're supposed to be, but um, I think we have a tendency to just, in broader society, tell people, like, you have to go to school, or you have to get a, uh, a job, or find your calling. Like, that's something that I feel like our parents tell us, society at large tells us, like, we just need to do that. There's also, com that also reminds me of the social contract. And I feel like there needs to be some sort of a base for our, like, communicate, being able to communicate in society. Because if we don't have some certain steps, it feels like we're not all going in the same direction. And there's the whole idea that we need to feel like we're a part of a community. So we like to do things um, when we see it. so many other people are doing it too. And we feel like we're do going, like walk, doing the walk of life properly. So that whole supposed to, have to, words we use really interest me. I mean, but is that a bad thing? Like having that need to feel like you belong in a group and like feeling content with just being part of a group and like doing and having a role like maybe dictated by what's needed where you are i don't think that's a bad thing but um 
since the moment we're born, we're put into this construct. It's just we have these set set structure that we have to follow. So I feel like that becomes our purpose to just be a part of that system. We need to go to school. We need to go to college. And then we get a job. And that becomes our purpose. And if anyone tries to break out of it, it just mostly doesn't work out. I, it reminds me of that movie, Into the Wild, where he's been living in Good a one. very structured life. And he reaches this point where he's about to go to law school, I think. And he just doesn't do it. He just leaves everything. He disposes of all of his money and his credit cards he and donates everything. everything to Oxfam also. He donates everything to Oxfam. So yes, everyone. But he doesn't donate. survive, right? He so yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. People who try to exit this structure, yeah. they cannot survive. So maybe the how how we have been living for so long, maybe how our society functions, it's just not possible for people to. Uh, separate society from purpose. Well, I think that it's also a biological need. You know, I think just like that innate feeling of wanting to be with a group um, because people are very social, like Aristotle says. But, um, like, if you think about when you're confronted as being part of a group, you can't just be you. You have to be an identity in the face of the group something that like makes you an individual but also part of a cohesive unit and so I think part of like finding your purpose is that like how do you identify within a larger group and if you're unable to do that if you're like too individualistic I mean Aristotle says that like you either become a beast or a god can't become a god so a lot of people become murderers or they commit crimes and that's like a common result of not being able to fit in and not being able to find your own purpose is that you start to act out and um, become socially ostracized. So I think it's a biological need that we have too. We definitely need people. I, I definitely agree we need people, but I don't think it's you're either in a society or in a like uh, group or you're not or you're individual. I think it's about finding yourself before you enter a group because if you try to create your self-identity through a group then it's um, it's choosing from options that were given to you Mm -hmm. instead of creating all of the options yourself and at that point the group you choose to be with might not be aligned with your own personal identity I think that is why we need to try to discover ourselves in different settings and different situations within groups and by ourselves, like we were talking about it before, about uh, being in your own thoughts. And then afterwards, you can definitely, and I think we should find a um, community that we enjoy to be a part of, because so many of the um, like murderers, for example, or people who don't feel like they're loved or they're a part of a society is because they've not, um, they forced maybe to tell themselves that they are in this group while deep down they knew that they didn't feel welcomed or at home in that group. So it's, I think it's about being able to be comfortable with who you are and then initiating yourself into a community that's already aligned with who you are. But then we all change all the time. Mm-hmm. Can you change your community all the time and be okay with it? Um, you don't necessarily have to change your community because even all the other people in the community keep on changing. And 
it's just not possible for you to find new friends every day. You can so when you're in college, you get a lot of opportunities to make friends. But once you leave college, and this is what we're gonna experience too, Denise, soon, <laughs> you just don't get a lot of chances to just meet people. So I know my friends who graduated um, last year; they really struggle with just finding friends again. So we're really not talking about purpose right now, but I. It's related. It's sort of related. Okay, but. I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> so if you, I, when you go and you, it's about finding different communities. You okay, yeah, right. So do you need to seek a new purpose every time you're in a new community? Maybe it's okay. I'm so. I also think that people think of purpose as this one thing that they need to achieve, and I don't believe that. I think purpose is just the change that is happening in us every it's day. Evolving. Yeah, it's like evolving, basically evolving. So like. It's, it's interesting that you related it to evolving because if you think about animals, what, what, what is their purpose? It's, mm -hmm. it's just to mate. And they mate a lot and they eat a lot. And why do they mate? So that they can pass on their genes and that mm -hmm. is how they evolve. So it's a very interesting that yeah. you related that. Well, because like our happiness is dynamic, right? Like when I was a kid, watching TV and playing outside made me my most happy now my definition of happiness is different and 10 years from now it's probably going to be a little bit different too and that's always changing and so i think finding your purpose it has to be evolving because you are maybe evolving is the incorrect word mm -hmm. maybe it's more dynamic um and not necessarily like biological evolution I mean, but yeah. yeah no it's ever changing so yeah i kind of i kind of i am thinking the other end of this discussion because then he said something about like finding yourself your purpose in the community i remember there's one topic that we put on the wheel that we didn't end up talking about the nationalism and pat versus patriotism so how do you guys feel this one relates to the purpose and society it's again i think about the community aspect because you the whole nationalistic idea and thinking that your nation like going more into i mean fascism but thinking that your nation and your people are the best in the world gives you this self-satisfaction thinking that oh you're in the right place you were born in the right place you know or you speak the correct language exactly or, or like your history is the best or your mm -hmm. culture is the best or your food is the best or you look a certain way mm -hmm. or that and that's that's i think comes out of this emptiness within yourself because you can't find your own identity or you're you're not comfortable in your own um, identity that you need to scapegoat someone else or you need to say that someone else is bad to be able to feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. I can We can talk about the whole American identity Trump is trying to recreate by scapegoating um, refugees at this moment. He's trying to validate that he is or his ideas are the best by saying that um, someone else is worst instead of trying to create this own identity coming out of his, I don't know, own creative outburst. So talking about the new American identity and Trump, we can talk about the ongoing U.S. national debt and the uh, impact of on it on the personal debt in U.S. Uh, the national debt right now is $21.9 trillion. And counting. And counting. Um, 
One of the like interesting oh, points okay. that someone brought up in the discussion was if there was like a an end point, an end game to the the whole like increasing debt, and uh, if like U.S. America was like at this point too big to fail because mm -hmm. people were talking about if uh, if yeah. other countries were gonna look at the debt and like. Stop investing. Yeah, stop investing because it was still growing, but I don't think that's the case. No, it's a mutually destructive system yeah. because they it's not like other large nations with large economies are not in debt either. Yeah. It's like it reminds me of nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. If both sides have them or enough people have them, it might be protect protective because nobody's going to use them and it's mutually assured destruction. It's not just... It, I agree with that, but also I... The value U.S. dollar holds in today's economy, today's global economy, if U.S. if something were to happen to the mm -hmm. U.S. and if the economy were to fail, it mm -hmm. would have really bad effects on mm -hmm. literally the whole world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we saw what happened. In, like, yeah, exactly. 1930. Yeah. Or the yeah. housing or, thing. Yeah. Or that. Yeah. And also, the problem is that I think the problem thought with saying that if everyone has debt, then like it, no one like it's. Yeah. It doesn't I mean, impact anything. That's the ideal, but it's not reality. Yeah, I think. exactly. The issue is that um, the more, the higher the debt becomes, the less they sp start spending on education and healthcare mm -hmm. in poor areas, and it's just pushing inequality. And businesses don't invest either because interest rates go up. And people start having less jobs. Look at all the job cuts that are happening. Yeah. And although we're talking about a lot of like employment rates, they're all part time. Uh, yeah, not all part time. Not all, but yeah. mostly part time and short term jobs. So those uh, employments that have been adding are going to be out of the loop in six months, and it's just like yeah. One of the I things. Mean, sorry, go ahead. Um, like right now, Trump bragging about how low the unemployment rate is is just like purely political to mm -hmm. just uh, seem like he's doing a, a good job, but it it. Doesn't mean anything. We have the <laughs> sayings, um, painting the eye. So when you're painting the eye with someone by saying things like this, it means like you're, you're embellishing and yeah, you're creating oh, a yeah. picture, you know? Yeah. And he's trying to do that to the whole world, like saying, oh, we have jobs, we have great economy growing. <laughs> and a State of Union speech too, he was saying, like, strong military, strongest economy, like lowest unemployment and everything trying to create this image that everything is going fine while we're seeing that wages aren't growing wages healthcare aren't costs are going up, up and if you look at countries like india for example their gdp growth rate has doubled ours and yeah they're at a different point in their economic history but it's still we're far behind in a yeah. lot of world economy looking at economies. it the, from the economic perspective i think like the most damaging thing of about debt is that it really compromises growth mm -hmm. on the long run like if I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any debt because that's not also possible, yeah. but maybe not being like uh, like not in, not increasing it as much as this uh, administration is doing it could lead to higher growth. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe in the medium run, but okay, I'm gonna be the devil's advocate here, but um, okay, let's talk about personal debt too now. Mm -hmm. I. I Personal debt is important because if people are taking more loans, they're consuming more, mm -hmm. and that is how an economy grows. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. especially U.S. economy. Especially U.S. economy, which has had high consumption rates since forever. Always. They've never had um, high savings for as long as I can remember. They had savings in 1960s, actually. They had very high level, 1940s, 60s. They started having Because wages savings, were really good relative to living standards. Right now, savings are in the negatives. It wasn't negatives till the 2000s, which is a big problem. And like you said, America's economy depends on spe- people's spending and con- it's a consumption economy. Mm-hmm. And even though we call we call it a developed economy, we know that it, it's still not, it's not an equilibrium. We think of... Yeah we think of a developed economy as stable a stable yeah. economy but like we know that all countries keep on growing mm-hmm. they're not going to stop growing so in a sense all countries are developing and in order for it to grow it's going to have to consume more and so people will take more loans people will have more debt yeah having having loans not like innately a bad thing but yeah, i think what we need right now in this society is just like a, a better saving culture Let's maybe like mm-hmm. put it that way, because with the whole uh, like that's just marketing and just consumerism in general that l- makes people want to just buy new things and upgrade everything and mm-hmm. that that's just it's not it's maybe better for the economy but it's not a uh, sustainable. It's not. It's so bad for long term. It's so bad for the environment too. Like people always make fun of me for having my little iPhone SE and I'm like <laughs> I'm going to use this cheap phone until it physically falls apart because I don't need to be getting a new phone or a new sweater or a new pair of shoes every freaking week just because I'm being marketed that. And it's so bad for um, like the environment, environment, right? But the economy depends on that, which is like why the- But it doesn't have to. It's so unethical also. (laughs) It's like immoral. That's totally on consumerism and like marketing. Yeah. But our economy doesn't have to be, like, structured that way. There are, like, sustainable ways to grow the economy, like, especially energy. It's more costly to use fossil fuels now than it is to invest in renewable energy. But people won't do it because they think they have this image in their mind of, like, oil brings money. And proceeding into the future, that's just not true anymore. Exactly. That's exactly why, why Trump was saying... America is going. America is the biggest oil producer, yeah. and people are like clapping him for it. Or like we like, need to bring coal be... jobs back. Like that is it, not where we should be looking. But he's not trying to shift people's mindset into the more sustainable environmental thing. And you have to s- understand that most of um, the Americans who support these ideas and follow these ideas um, ha- have not been educated on. Uh, the fact that renewable energy is more profitable in the long term at this point and how it's like it's coming to the same prices people think it's just unnecessary or stupid and in the past it didn't happen so in the future why would it be good you know people like to stay in the same comfort zone and no one is trying to change that about the communal understanding in the culture were you gonna add something Shrey? <laughs> I was just going to say that it's it's very easy for a government to add a policy or like change something, but it's not as easy to change people's thinking mm-hmm. and which I'm sure they can they can implement some education programs or some sort of system to do that, but it's still not easy to do that. So in that case, in that scenario, which is how, how do you make sure that people how do you change hearts and minds exactly how how do you do that it goes back to the problem of like what is your purpose in society and what we were talking about because like people who were lifelong working in the oil industry or um you know like actually doing the work or like coal mines 
um, they that's all they know right like that is their purpose or that's their perceived purpose in society and so when like you have people who are maybe in elite parts of society telling them like your livelihood is hurting the environment it's a huge shock like yeah, how do it's you an attack on right. your identity like you said and your own perceived exactly. purpose exactly but for example the government can give 25% subsidies for electric cars it's so easy to do that but then that could shift them that could shift the mindset of people because if they're like oh if they're subsidizing electric cars it means that it must be good somehow you know but he's still saying oil we're going to produce oil 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 and everyone thinks oil is the only good thing yeah i think it also it always comes back to like the marketing strategies yeah. like driving electric cars now is cool so <laughs> people are okay with like Driving. The government pushing it and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, like, I like pressing the button on my hybrid instead yeah. of, like, putting the key <laughs> in the ignition. But I literally, I had a friend in high school who was like, I like revving up the engine <sighs> or I like sports cars just because it sounds like, like a real car. Cars. Yeah, like, yeah, like my I uncle loves like stick. Oh my God. <laughs> I do drive stick back at home. Yeah, like every old person I know, every old foreigner I know is like, oh, I love stick. I'm like, guys, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, but man... <laughs> Let's try to move into our last topic, which is the Paris, Paris Agreement, and it works with our renewable uh, energy chat right now. Uh, we were talking about just the whole concept of the Paris Agreement during our uh, session, and um, what should change about it? Because even rich countries like Sweden, with Greta Thunberg um, becoming an activist against Sweden's act, even the rich countries are not following uh, all of their... Um, Propo uh, proposed promises, promises <laughs> in the Paris Agreement and uh, how could we change this? We can't force countries to do something and we can't tell them to do that or this and we can't change their constitutions which is why the Paris Agreement is just a suggestion which makes, which in my perspective makes it very weak but then what can we do then? I feel like this is a very appropriate topic move on, moving on from the topic we just discussed mm -hmm. because it's like we were saying, oh, we should come up with policies or suggestions. And this is actually one of the example of a suggestion. And it's, and it's like it kind of just asks us to focus on the status of it right now. We also talk about like Paris Agreement as an international law, like a, a feature of international law is like, it's kind of like, it's like marriage. If you conform to it, if you want to be part of it, if you do not, like, if you do not want to conform of it, you just kind of leave. So they really do not punish anything. But that is not the case if, if it's like the national law. You are punished in some countries. Like, it's really hard to live with uh, your boyfriend if you're not married in, like, Turkey. You can't move into a house together that's that's a separate issue but i think what she's trying to say here is that it's easier for you to not follow international law but it's not as easy for you to not follow your own country's laws oh so she's um she's relating international law to marriage if okay. you don't want to be in it you get divorced yeah it's like it's more like an agreement that kind of thing it's like paris agreement we agree we follow this if i do not agree i do not have to follow this so it's like i feel it makes me think of Thomas Hobbes and the Leviathan. Um, 
I'm dead yes. serious now because he talks <laughs> about like love hate relationship, right? <laughs> he talks about this like state of nature where people are naturally in competition, both on a personal level and then when you get to the government too. Like he feared political factions, civil war, so he's like, let's have a supreme ruler in a country. But then what do you what happens when you bring that into international politics, right? How can you say one country is greater than all the others and make them obey it? Um, when it comes to agreements like this, it would be nice if there was just one governing body that everybody listened to that said, we need to regulate something so that the environment is saved, right? But then who, how do we give that person yeah, that much power? Right. And then who holds them accountable and governs them too, right? Like you can't have that one because it creates conflict. So it's very strange to Which navigate is, international relations because of this. Centralized governments are the most efficient in the sense that in no one <laughs> yeah but it, but the idea of like a monarchy and the uh, leviathan is that there's one person making all the decisions so no one is actually mm. opposing them no one is trying to say he, they are wrong so he can, will make the decision and apply it it's the most efficient in the sense of time and no bureaucracy but it's <laughs> i think if we decentralize governments and everyone simultaneously does something, it's much easier. <laughs> that is definitely more efficient, but that is not democratic at all. Oh no, it's completely problematic, yeah. but you can't deny that it's very swift to just have one person be like, this is banned or like, this is okay. It doesn't make it like, yeah, it sounds all nice, right. But <laughs> it sounds nice, but humans are realistic. horrible yeah. I, and I it can easily it's the degenerate. Worst version. And like Aristotle Arist- also says how it would be the easiest way to do it only if uh, it was a perfect philosopher or something. Mm-hmm. And that does that does not exist because yeah, it means uh, that that would person would be like godified and they would be make all the perfect decisions. And since that person cannot exist because no one is going to be a perfect philosopher, we need to have like at least a few people um, organizing the ideas and p- they are checking each other out. Uh, out. Yeah, that's why I, I'd say that the Paris Agreement was like a good first step to like that the path of maybe not enforcing but just trying to start the conversation. Yeah, start the conversation of p- uh, the leaders of the countries need to be more aware and need to take responsibility. They know what they're doing though. They know every day selling those oil barrels that they're impacting the environment terribly and they continue. They didn't need the Paris Agreement to realize this. It's just a publicity stunt to make them seem like they're doing something about it. Make us feel better about them. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like we're all getting so angry about Trump leaving the Paris Agreement but no one is getting pissed at the countries who are still in the Paris Agreement but are not following it completely Trump is at least being honest about it yeah. <laughs> okay so I, I I honestly think that a lot of people don't know that you can be in the Paris Agreement and still not follow it a lot of people I believe think, it's think binding. that it's exactly. binding but that's not the case mm-hmm. so people also really need to educate themselves on these things it's like the UN development goals right am I thinking yes. of the right thing like, <laughs> let's talk about UN development goals because they're like oh I mean, ideally was meant. Yeah. yeah it's like ideally everybody would be doing this and everybody's like yeah let's support that and then nobody does it <laughs> and the world is still bad but the- is that the like Ending world hunger by yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and like, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's just how international law always has been, though. Unfortunately. And, and that's because, like we were talking about earlier, there is no governing body which is 
on the international level. Right. And so how else could it be? I, right? I, I think there could be a democratic way to choose leaders from each country that will sit on a cabinet. Mm-hmm. European but, Union does it every year. The head of it changes. Okay. So, but but then again, it's you're gonna need representation from all countries, and then all countries will need to have equal say in that cabinet or do countries that are developed mm-hmm. I did air quotes there yeah, developed yeah. <laughs> get more power there how, how would that work so mm-hmm. it's just it's just not easy to to think of a perfect committee Governing. you can't that's Body. what we try to do with um uh, with human rights like we're trying to find these base rights that we all adhere to but no one in the world would and like that also takes away from the diversity and the beauty of diversity and thought in the world because if you try to confine everyone to a very like singular strict, uh, strict singular set, set of thoughts then it becomes it becomes so homogeneous that it's takes away from culture it's like how like there are global foods everywhere in America. Like there's Chinese food places, but it's Americanized, and like you take away from that actual cultural aspect. Ethnic food. That's why I wanted to rant about it the first time. <laughs> I, I actually think that happens in all countries. Even in India, there are so yeah. many Chinese restaurants, but they're Indian Chinese. That's because people might not necessarily like food from. A certain country because they're used to a certain for example Taste. yeah no, for I, in I, India, I get it. yeah all that's of exactly the, why we when uh, we have the like rules if we try to have a rule that's like America thinks that like freedom of speech is should be in every country for example if you go and try to apply that in another culture they're not gonna like the taste of it exactly you know? that, mm-hmm. did you guys know that McDonald's has a different menu for each country yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, that's that's because people don't like the you, same you thing you think there's some bacon in Turkey no, <laughs> yeah, no. there's oh, no man. beef in India yeah <laughs> for example exactly. everything is beef in Turkey <laughs> I mean going back to the whole freedom of speech thing how do you think like you could adapt that. Yeah, my that, idealized like, basic concept. My idealized cultures. version would be that every country's first, like one to three um, uh, paragraphs. What do you call those? Yeah, articles. Articles. Amen. Yeah, every con- uh, the first few constu- first few articles of the constitution would be the same for everyone. So even though we're appreciating and celebrating our diversities, when we go from one country to another, we know that there are these simple set-based rules. And I believe that, I don't know how it will happen right now, but I believe that there needs to be this new language between medicine and politics because our DNA is connecting us. Every single living creature has the same DNA structure, like plants to animals to everything. We have the same DNA structure. So we do have this one Thing that unites um, thing all that of us. Unites all of us. We all store this information of survival the same way. So why can't we have this um, base set of understanding of each other and try to build upon that? Uh, I think our identity sets because of our identities and how they're structured. So we have so many different identities. We belong to a certain family. We belong to a certain city. We belong to a certain state. And but we our, value those identities more really than We really value others. those identities. But the biggest identity that we currently have is our country. There's no identity bigger than that. Religion. So, Religion goes religion across country. Okay, religion yeah. religion is also a pretty big identity. It's probably the most encompassing besides just like human. You know what I mean? Because like people from all different cultures 
all different languages, different genders can follow the same religion and that unites them. That's why yeah. there are so many movements based on religion because it mobilizes people. And religion is also us, what created politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that could be a good thing, but it can be also like... A really yeah. Oh, yeah, no, also it could be used like, in so many different ways. Yeah. We all have our own identities and everything. Yes, we do, but those can still be separate and cherished and appreciated, you know, but we all... We all use language, for example. We all eat food, you know. We all breathe in air, you know. And we forget these basic things that we all share, which is why I'm saying, like, the structure of the DNA has to somehow be parallel to the structure of Congress in this new language that must be created. Because in medicine, you have hypotheses and proofs. And in politics, you have anecdotes and stories. Mm -hmm. And there's not a... And power. And there's, exactly, there's not a... And like science accepts change, but politics is resistant against change. And there's Polybius's cycle, like we're all going in this same cycle all the time that Mm -hmm. we need this bridge between them to recognize that we are all one at the end. I totally agree with that. And that is why I brought up the topic of identity and why there's a need to build an international identity. Mm -hmm. Citizen of the world. Citizen of the world. They do exist. (laughs) And I hate that phrase, but it'd be, it's such a great concept. I hate when people are like, I'm a global citizen. Yeah, people put it on their, like, I'm no bad. I'm like, their Instagram description. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They like, they have a little marker for every city they've been to, like. (laughs) That that should be an actual thing. It's great, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sentiment that people need to And that actually relates to what we said earlier, that, uh, uh, well, I'm gonna be kind of like a devil's advocate here. That's kind of the argument against patriotism, like having this sense of not being like not appreciating more a country, rather the whole world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the argument against a need for internationalism. <laughs> yeah, but also some aspects of globalism kill beautiful parts of culture. You know, they're yeah. beautiful parts of like yeah. Islamic art is very interesting f- for me. And like, I like it um, probably because I was born into it. And I don't want to give up that appreciation to have this global love. That's why there's this thin line, I think, between like globalizing and internationalizing and not losing that small aspect of because where you're born, your surroundings, those do impact you. And we mm-hmm. can't like try to erase that uh, out of our mindset. Yeah. You can't erase the emotion you get when you hear someone speak your native language yeah. or like listen to the music that you grew up listening to or the food that you're accustomed to eating like that is something you cannot remove from like human emotion and yet but some people take it too far they become completely completely absorbed in it and like prioritize that alone that's as their single identity and that, exactly that's how you get <laughs> yeah. to nationalism so there is that fine line between like wanting to appreciate and cherish parts of your culture or just completely worshipping it yeah. I feel like this is also kind of how I do, how I view when I do journalism is like, I feel only by being local, you can be global. It's like you first stay local and then mm-hmm. you become I like global. <laughs> all right, I Very feel nice all right, you drop. That a, was a, a gr- that was a great little uh, first session, guys. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next month.